Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. Uh, This week, I'd like to talk a little bit about fairness. Uh, It's on my mind, uh, in part because I had my first little brush with minor Twitter fame this weekend. Uh, I had tweeted out something about some of the free college plans going around in the presidential campaign uh, and expressed my support for a more universal approach and my concern about means-tested approaches. Um, Only because uh, my experience says that targeted programs tend to put targets on people which is the simplest way I can think of saying that. But for someone who usually gets 10 or 20 responses to a tweet uh, to have thousands of people respond was interesting. Uh, And a lot of the discussion around what I said was about the notion of what's fair and what's not fair. And I think in this world of poverty-informed practice, fairness is an issue worth exploring. Uh, So while this is not about uh, universal free college, we could have that discussion another time, it is something I wrote... um, last January about fairness in a sense. Um, So I'd like to share something I wrote called Poverty Informed Practice in Higher Education. It's not fair. I was going to share some signs this week that our movement is taking hold. And there are many, but they're going to have to wait. I knew this Sunday that CBS Sunday Morning was going to highlight the issue of homelessness on campus but I had no idea my reaction would be so visceral. The story and video was amazing, and it featured students overcoming circumstances most of us could not comprehend. Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Rabb was featured, and I continued to be grateful that she shines a light on this issue. But mostly, I was just angry and sad. Mostly, I was struck by how unfair things are, and my fear that we would celebrate the heroism of those students, and they are incredible but rather we'd forget that it's insane that they are in this situation at all. Let me try to explain. So I graduated from high school in 1988, and I earned my bachelor's degree in the year 2000. Uh, Yes, mathematicians, it was a 12-year process to get a college diploma. It's a long story that involves three different colleges, involves some years wandering the desert, you know, metaphorically, um, and it ended at Winona State University. I don't have a clear story to explain why my path was so crooked, and truthfully, it doesn't matter. It was tied up in a giant undiagnosed anxiety disorder, a little bit of post-traumatic stress, and my own failings. But today, what's more interesting to me is how I was allowed to work through it, and the contrast with those who don't get the same accommodations simply because of an accident of birth. My history is that my grandparents on my dad's side had dropped out of high school when they were teen parents, and they worked their way out of generational poverty to the working class. My parents both had uh, worked through some things as teen parents, but by the time I was off to college, uh, they were divorced, but dad was almost a decade past a felony conviction, and mom was having a good career, although with her own struggles in her relationship and some addiction issues. I don't share these personal things to be titillating, but to make the point that even in less than perfect circumstances, I had access to things that any of the students I saw on TV that morning should have the equivalent of. I moved into my dad's basement at age 21, my mom's basement at 22, 24, and for the last time at 27. 
Each of those returns were lined up with bumps in the road that had knocked me off course for a while. Before I had that last return to school at age 27, I had to deal with default on student loans, non-existent credit, being academically suspended a couple of times, and deceiving people about all of those things. But I had advantages to overcome those obstacles, and I didn't see any of those advantages in the story on CBS. I aware that I start by checking a whole bunch of privilege boxes, and I acknowledge my privilege is one of the reasons I was allowed second and even third chances. But I also had support, which created hope, and hope is a real thing. I had people who would put a roof over my head when I needed one and made sure my belly was full while I retreated and regrouped. These people were far from perfect, as was I, but what an amazing asset, and I didn't do anything to earn it other than being born in the right time and place. So when I watched TV, I was so angry at the contrast between my experience and the ones I saw in this story. How do we know that reality and not do things radically differently? We cannot require heroism to get what you need. We cannot sell education as a strategy to escape poverty and allow those barriers to exist. It reminded me of a great quote from an article I read last year about Hazim Hardiman, a student from North Philadelphia who came from the crisis of poverty and eventually became a Rhodes Scholar. In the middle of this article, Hazim said the most powerful thing. Instead of letting us be addicted to a Horatio Alger myth, which probably never existed, he reminded us, Don't be happy for me that I overcame these barriers. Be mad as hell that they exist in the first place. Mad as hell is exactly how I felt that morning as I watched a young woman who somehow made it to college graduation while living in a van. It made me think of a young man I, young man I had met on a street near my campus. I had introduced myself to him and was trying to offer some help to him and others who were living outdoors. But as I started to suggest to him that perhaps he should come to school, he told me he did go to school. At my college. In the division I led. It was sort of like when you buy a new car and you suddenly notice the make and model that you bought everywhere. My eyes were opened. I started to meet students doing amazing things while they were living in cars or in shelters or even on the street. I've written or podcasted about some of them, and while each of them have had some success, I am just as struck by the fact that we can't celebrate their accomplishments without simultaneously acknowledging that we have to do more to give them some margin for error. We know the outcomes for students who don't get support for basic needs. We know the stories I heard on that television story were exceptions. And if we don't start knocking down life barriers, we will leave an infinite pool of untapped potential in shelters, storefronts, and vehicles. It is simply not acceptable. So that day I was reminded that poverty-informed work is in part to see if we can make things fair. Creating fairness takes on all kinds of forms. Fairness is knowing and creating resources that meet basic needs. You know, for heaven's sake, we can't celebrate skipping meals and couch surfing as something we expect of students or some rite of passage. Fairness is a poverty-informed approach which honors students' strengths from the moment they arrive on campus and creates a sense of belonging at every single opportunity with intention. 
Fairness is a poverty-informed classroom which meets students where they are and contains flexibility because the students' lives and circumstances require it. Fairness means we don't require heroism and endless gratitude to get the things people like me received because of a twist of fate. One of my friends on my former campus would remind me that I might really be talking about equity, and that's true. But today, fairness seems like the right word. In a past life, I taught second grade, and no one is more tuned in to what is fair and what is not than a seven-year-old second grader. Seven-year-old children get angry when things are unfair. And when I saw that story, I was angry. It feels like angry might be the right emotion for now. Anger at unfairness is a great way to keep these issues at the forefront and not retreat to places of emotional safety. So let's love the students we have. Credit to my friends at Amarillo College. But let's stay a little angry too, so we don't forget.